The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory Glory to you, Lord Christ. I am the true vine, and my Father the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask what you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you may bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remained in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. This evening, I want us to reflect together upon our dependence upon God. Our gospel passage is about nothing if it's not about our dependence upon Christ's presence and his work in us and among us. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Christ says. And indeed, we are in desperate need of Christ's life if we are to live lives that are pleasing and acceptable to God. Dependence, though, can be somewhat of a difficult thing. Most of the time, we prefer to be independent. I was thinking, this isn't just for tax purposes. I'm still a dependent for my parents, though I would save a little money if I wasn't. But there you go, Mom and Dad. This is because dependency involves a certain amount of risk. There's vulnerability in being dependent. We need other people to come through for us to provide what it is that we in some way lack. For it to be okay, they need to show up. So there's a kind of insecurity in this. We don't, we don't have everything in our own hands. I think we think if only we could become self-reliant and self-sufficient, then we could be at ease. We wouldn't have to wait on other people and the possibility that things would get screwed up might, might disappear. We would find ourselves less disappointed and less at loss. I think we seem to think that it's best if we could just be in control. But the problem, of course, is that that kind of self-sufficiency and independence is actually just not really a possibility for us. However much we may tell ourselves, subconsciously or consciously, that we have ultimate control over our lives, There are two realities that just don't let us get away with that thought. The first is the way we enter the world. We did not choose to enter the world. Our lives came to us. They came to us as a gift. 
We don't fill out some brochure to offer, hey, I'll try out being a human for a lifetime. We just come into the world. We awake to our existence. Simply, once we were not, and then we were, and we weren't around for that transition. We didn't have a say in it. Our lives were given to us, and that's why we can recognize them as a gift. And though we are active, certainly we do things, there's a certain amount of independence in that, but all of that finally stems from this fundamental gift that is just our existence. At some level, we all know this. We confess this every week when we confess that God is the creator of the world, but sometimes we forget this kind of fundamental reliance and dependence upon God's gift of our own existence. And then on the other side, we have our approaching deaths. There will come a time when we won't be able to hold on to our lives anymore. They'll just slip out of our hands. We see that we live in a fundamentally fragile kind of condition. We can't cling to our lives because even how much we try to, they will slip out. Bonhoeffer, who is uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor, resistor to the Nazis, and ultimately a martyr, he called out the Nazis for their program of euthanasia, the T4 euthanasia program. And the reason for it wasn't just that he thought it was wicked to kill those who were disabled or had mental handicaps, but he said it actually was at its base a kind of madness. Because he said, if you're going to kill those who are vulnerable and needy, you'll actually have to kill everyone because that's all of us. There's no line between the dependent and the independent, and we can somehow dispense with those who are needy. That's not a separate category of existence. That's all of us. Our lives are marked by a whole host of dependencies. That's just what it means to be a creature, as we find our lives as given to us. But I think this is doubly so in light of the fall. We're not only dependent upon God's gift of existence, but in having turned away from God, if whatever else the fall means, it's a severing of us from our source. It's a moving away from God as the giver of our lives, trying to be our own existence, trying to ground ourselves. But in light of the fall, we have trouble even being creatures. We have trouble even receiving from God. We actually need God to help us get back to a position where we can have open hands once again to receive life. Whereas God has offered life to us, in our first parents, Adam and Eve, we've chosen to reject that life, to try to craft our own sorts of lives, to be our own creators, to be our own gods, fundamentally to throw off dependence and to be something else, to be something other than a human being, as we were created to be. So if we're to be reconnected to our source, we actually need God to do something for us. And so it's in that context that Christ comes and proclaims himself as the true vine. He comes as the vine that bears fruit, the vine that is alive, the vine that is connected to its source in God. Now this image of the vine is something that we see throughout scripture. It's several times referred to by the prophets, a few times in the Psalms, and in every case, it's not a very good situation that's presented to us. Uh, the prophet Isaiah speaks about Israel entering into the land of Canaan and being settled there as a kind of planting. God plants Israel in the land, yet what happens is Israel doesn't bear any fruit. God comes to receive the fruit from them, and there's nothing there. It says there's been bitter fruit in its place. But this isn't just the story of Israel. This isn't just Israel's failure to reap fruit for God. But it's the story of humanity. Just as Israel was placed in the land of Canaan, so Adam and Eve were placed in the garden. 
And what they did was to turn away from God. Instead of offering their lives up in gratitude to God, they stole them away for themselves. They, instead of living lives of fruit, they withered up and died. Now, fruitfulness in Scripture isn't just about being productive in the sense that we think of having a productive day, like, oh, today I've cleaned the house and washed the car and worked on the yard, which are all things I never do, but if I did, I would say, what a productive day I've had. <laughs> now, in Scripture, fruitfulness is all about activity done with a certain orientation. It's about activity done before God and toward God. It's activity that shows God's own purposes in the world. Now, when a tree bears fruit, it's just doing what trees do. There's nothing too special there. It's just trees bear fruit, and so when they are alive, fruit comes. Humans bear fruit in the same way. And just being human, by doing human things, we bear fruit. That is what fruitfulness before God looks like. It is us being humans to the, to the greatest capacity that we have. But the problem is, we actually don't live very fruitful lives because we don't offer them up to God. Whatever sin is, it's a kind of rejection of our humanity. It's a denying of our humanity, trying to be something else, trying to live by a different law than the one that we've actually been given. And in denying ourselves, we deny our Creator, and we live fruitless lives. We live lives that are not offered up as a gift to God, lives that are not offered up as a gift to others, but lives that try to acquire, that try to make for ourselves. Other people just become another piece in the project of bettering our own existence, but we don't live them in a way that gives them up to others, that offers them up to others. So it's in this world characterized by this kind of fruitlessness, this kind of self-possession and removal from others, that Christ comes and says, I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. Christ comes into a world marked by this, but as one who is truly alive, as one who is truly human, in a world marked by death and inhumanity. He comes into the midst of our world and lives his life as an offering to God, as fruit to God. The prophet Isaiah, in our reading today, says, I will put in the desert the cedar and the acacia, the myrtle and the olive. I will set junipers in the wasteland, the fir and the cypress together, the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. I think we can say there's something here of a hinting toward the virgin birth, toward God coming among us, the vine being planted among us, where before there was only wilderness and wasteland. Now we see fruit come once again. We see life where there was only death. So Christ becomes the point, the place in the world in which creation actually fulfills its purpose. Creation does what it was meant to do, in living before God and as a gift to God. Christ is the one who lived life perfectly receiving it from the Father. That's one of the main themes in the Gospel of John, is everything Christ does is something that was given for him to do. He never acts on his own. He's always in complete dependence. In fact, his power is precisely in that. Not in that he stands alone as some kind of autonomous, self-sufficient one, but as one who finds everything given to him by his father, and then he offers it back. He lives in complete obedience and submission and giving. And so Christ's life is one marked by fruitfulness. But this fruitfulness isn't just an accomplishment of himself. It's not just something that he does in and, in and for himself. But it's something that do, that's done for us. 
Christ meets us in flesh and blood so as to make us fruitful once again, to reconnect us back to the life of God and to allow us to live as humans once more, to live as we were made to live, so that we might be brought back as an offering to God. I think the key thing that I want to get across is that if our lives are to be offered to God, they're lives that have to be offered through Christ. Christ says, you can do nothing apart from me. We won't bear fruit. We won't have lives marked by God's own glory and goodness if we are not in Christ. The image that I have to think about this is to say, the incarnation of Christ is a kind of movement. It's where Christ descends and comes down and gathers up creation in himself and presents it back to God. He sanctifies it, makes it holy, and makes it an offering. Where before creation had been alienated and separated, now there's this kind of sweeping movement where all things are pulled back together and offered up, presented to the life of God. So if we're to return to God, if we ourselves are to make this movement back, we have to be caught up in Christ's own movement, in Christ's own offering. We have to be in Christ. This is what baptism is all about. It's the grafting into the vine that is Christ. It's becoming a part of Christ himself. It's entering into his body. So that as he offers himself to God and is received by God, we too find ourselves included within that. We are enclosed by Christ himself. We return by returning in Christ, and there's no other way to get there. And this is actually what assures us that the offering of our lives, the fruit of our lives, really will be received by God, that it will be stamped and affirmed and vindicated by God himself because Christ himself has been received by God and affirmed and vindicated. I think we're tempted when we think of offerings and sacrifices to have them primarily as a kind of negative idea in our heads, that it's actually a bummer that we would ever have to make a sacrifice. So when we look at Old Testament law, we think, gee, I'm really glad we don't have to do those things. That, like, that's the whole purpose of Leviticus, is to tell us that we don't have to do all those lame things that Israel had to do. But that's not it. Israel actually saw their offerings as God as a real gift. It was a good thing to be able to have something to present to the Lord. One of the, the first story that we have of sacrifice is a story of Cain and Abel. And the bummer in that case is not that you have to present something, but it's that God won't receive it. Cain's all bummed out because God does not receive the gift that he brings. Because to be able to offer a gift to God is to be able to enter communion with God. And so to be able to make an offering is to be able to have friendship with God. And this is actually our joy as creatures. This isn't something that we should begrudgingly do, but it's our very purpose. It's what we were made for. That's why Christ says in our passage today that the final end of this fruitfulness is that we might have joy. We might have the joy that is Christ's own in ourselves. So we receive Christ's life so that we might bear fruit. And in doing so, we ourselves actually become the fruit of Christ's own work. This is the kind of double move here, is that, one, we have our own fruit to offer, but it's not ultimately our own fruit because it's something that Christ himself is doing in us. We have to look around and be able to see each other as the work of Christ himself now in the world. The way we know that Christ is alive is that we see him still doing things in the world. He's still agitating us. He's still working in the world. So the question then becomes, what does fruitfulness actually look like? I think at its base, it just means living the sorts of lives that we live, but with a kind of gratitude 
and openness to God himself, to God's directing. I was, I was pondering how, I think we're, we're happy to make sacrifices for the most part. I, when I was young, I used to want to go overseas, and I was like, I want to die a martyr's death. That was really easy to imagine. What I couldn't do was to pray prayers, like just regularly praying or reading scripture. That was a sacrifice that was too small and kind of too big. I wanted something impressive, something that actually seemed worth doing. But I think what we have to learn to see is that our lives and all their mundane, regular sorts of things actually are our offering to God. If that's not our offering, then we really don't have anything else to give. We don't have anything more impressive to offer back to God than our regular lives. But the thing is, in Christ, God has actually sanctified and affirmed those lives so that they might be lives of joy and real fruitfulness. So then the final question becomes, how do we actually remain in Christ so as to bear fruit? How do we find ourselves caught up in the movement of Christ where he's taking all things back to God? The emphasis in the passage that we read tonight is upon the words of Christ, that it's by remaining with Christ's own words that we are able to be fruitful. Now, elsewhere in John, he stresses the Spirit of God, and that's certainly important, is that whatever fruitfulness we have must be by the life-giving of the Spirit. But here the emphasis is upon the words. Christ says, He cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes clean, so that it will be even more fruitful. Then He says, You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So do you catch that? The fruitfulness comes from a pruning, a pruning clean, and Christ says, well, you've already been pruned clean. Why? Because the words that I've spoken to you. So that God's pruning, the work by which he makes us able to bear fruit, is fundamentally the work of the word. It's the, word of the, it's the work of the word in our presence that works on us and makes us able to be fruitful before God, to be able to bring our lives as an offering. This is why the reading and the contemplation of Scripture is so important in our church here because we recognize that the fruitfulness of our lives finally depends upon it. It's the hearing of the word each week and throughout the, throughout the daily office that God works on us. Now, pruning is not a particularly comfortable experience for the plant. It's a cutting away. It's a chopping at. And that, that should give us some clue into what our experience of Scripture will actually be like. There are certainly times where Scripture will be very comforting and encouraging to us, but there will also be times where it feels like it's cutting away at us, where we're having to give up things, where we're having to suffer loss, even in our very process of learning and growing. It's a painful sort of process, but I think it's painful because it's conforming us to the image of Christ, and Christ is the crucified one. So Scripture is pushing the shape of Christ's life on us and that's a difficult process because we have to give up. We have to give up our fantasies, our illusions, our, our kind of egotistical visions of ourselves and see what we really are and to reshape our projects to be directed towards something other than our own satisfaction. The reading of Scripture is not just about something that we do where we go to the text and try to make it do work for us, but it's something that God himself is doing to us. That's why we have over at the lectern, we just read it. We don't have tons of commentary on it because ultimately we trust that the very words of Scripture are active and working upon us. That just as we sit and receive these words, God is doing something to us. And our, our work is just to entrust ourselves to that. 
So if we're to be a fruitful people, we have to be a people committed to the scriptures and committed to Christ's commands. We have to abide in these words, to keep them close to our hearts, to learn them, to memorize them, to trust them, and to take Christ's commands seriously, to exhort one another, to encourage one another. This is a work we have to spur one another onto. To abide in Christ is also to abide in his church. It's to gather with his people. It's to encourage one another and to hear words of praise spoken, to hear words of gratitude spoken, to pray together. This is what it means to remain in Christ. Now, in a few minutes, we'll go to the Eucharistic table. We'll come and have a feast. We'll go to the vine himself, approaching the gift of God that's come to us in Christ. It's here that we come face to face with our dependence upon God. We come as needy people with our hands outstretched, receiving our life. We receive God's gift to us in Christ. But there's also this movement back where we don't come just to receive. We come and find ourselves offered up body and soul to God. So the Eucharist shows us exactly what our lives are all about, what, our, what the church's existence is for, what the final end of all creation is. It's this reception and this offering back all in Christ himself. We receive Christ's life as a gift, and then we ourselves become the gift of Christ to the Father. As we come and feast at the table, we become the body and blood that is offered up to God and that is received by God. So we must approach this table with gratitude and with recognition that this is the fundamental truth of our lives, that we are those who have received life and those who are to offer it back, and that we're doing this all in Christ, that Christ is the one who has come to make this possible, and he is the one who is at work in us all the days of our life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.